We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, the Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bearport and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm happy to, to of course, be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, February February 8th here as uh, following the week of the Senior Bowl here. And um, as promised, we're going to be doing a recap show of the Senior Bowl with a special guest today. Um, that's Robert Schmitz of the Windy City Great Iron, who was lucky enough to be at the senior bowl for practically, I don't know, were you there for pretty much the entire week, Robert, or pretty much much believe it or not, the overwhelming majority of the NFL community does not stay for the game. So Jacob and Fonte stayed for the game, but I had to head out on Thursday because I got a young one at home that I got to take care of, but it was a lot of fun getting to be there for as long as I was. And I feel like I learned a lot while I was there. Yeah. I think that was so so from my experience there, uh, the one year I was there, I think it was a few years ago. Um, I, I had the same strategy as you. I was there for the practices because I heard going into it that that's like the main attraction for the senior bowl of the game. You know, it is what it is. It's fun. You can get some information from it, but it's mostly kind of like a fan um, sort of thing. You know, right. um, not a lot of analysts to get from analysis to get from that. Basically, it's mainly the practice you want to get to. And um, yeah, I, I agree. Like from my experience there, I always felt like, um, I, I felt like from my, my time at mobile, that it was very, just learned a lot just about the sport in general, just being able to see all the little nuances up close about how they practice, um, how these guys work, um, getting to sit next to other football scotty minds or writing minds and kind of pick their brain a little bit and see, you know, kind of what they're seeing and mm-hmm. confirming biases. I think, I think that was kind of a big part for me when I was down there a few years ago, it was just like, I would go into mobile with, um, a lot of these biases and a lot of times you either confirm that based off what I saw. And a lot of times it would, I'd be like, okay, maybe I have to reevaluate the way I think about certain things. And I just want to, before we get started with our questions here, just take us through your experience as a whole. Like, um, was any, anything similar to kind of that, what I just described there? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you one of the things that I think is hardest. So if there's one piece of draft analysis that I end up really critical on, and Andrew, you and I talk fairly regularly, so you know this is how I feel. It, it is a little bizarre to me that there are some of these guys that start as low on popular internet boards as they do i mean the idea just to use an example the idea that Jaden reed or michael wilson are in the undrafted range coming into this weekend doesn't make any sense to me the idea that there was a point where darnell wright was considered a fourth rounder i mean we can debate back and forth whether he's a first rounder or like a mid second rounder but he's just too good to be a fourth rounder that's there's a clear difference between a top 60 pick of the 60 to 40 range the like what 100 to 170 ish range like it's not it varies draft by draft Andrew you know that but there was an element of this I know two years ago the first time I really went I didn't really know what I was looking for I didn't really trust to be honest my own eyes and so this was a really fun one to me because I did my homework I knew these guys coming into the senior bowl and going out and watching practice and seeing who lived up to the tape and who didn't really live up to the tape and maybe most importantly Andrew being willing to understand when I liked a player or wanted more from a player and they weren't delivering because priors rule this time of season like somebody that you love for me it'll be JSN more than likely comes in and runs a crap 40 you better believe i'm ready with excuses and with jsn in particular i could go we're not going to make that a tangent the point is is that people will go to the ends of the earth to defend stone Forsyth if they love stone Forsyth, and if they don't they don't and the senior bowl is super fun because you get to watch a bunch of guys from all over the country competing against each other and suddenly dontavion wicks and rushy rice are going up against the same level of competition and is that the perfect barometer is that it is watching guys practice for three days the best way to get to know them not necessarily but it's a really nice opportunity to watch how they operate what do they do how do they win do they use the tools that you saw them use in school and everything they're in it's not a be-all end-all but at the same time andrew for as many people as like to talk about how the senior bowl doesn't matter everybody should have recognized that christian watson showing up to the senior bowl and looking literally no different than he looked at ndsu was what told us he should or he was going to be picked Hi again. Was he a first round pick? He was not. But Andrew, you say second round picks change teams. A good third round pick changes teams. These guys who end up in the top, say, 80 picks matter an awful lot. And the senior bowl was chock full of them this year. I can't wait to talk through some. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the year I was down there, Quinn Miners was the big story. You know, a guy, D3 school was considered like a late day three prospect going into it. And then he just rockets up draft boards um, to being in that day two conversation. I, ended, I think he ended up being a day two pick. He got picked in like the eighties or nineties by the Denver Broncos, I believe. So um, yeah, just one of those things with the senior bowl is a huge week. It's a huge week for the NFL because everyone's down there. Everyone's, you know, getting to talk to these prospects, um, get to see these guys in the practice field, see how they work, see how they operate. Um, of course, see how they perform against, I guess kind of like similar level of competition right. um, it kind of evens the playing field a little bit, like you kind of alluded to. And uh, that kind of leads into our first question here that we'll just get into it. And um, we talk about some of the guys who have seen their draft stock rise over the years from the senior bowl, primarily um, 
when you look at this past week or so, we'll start with the offensive side of the ball. Who were some of the biggest winners from the senior bowl on the offensive side of the ball? I know talking to you kind of before the show, a lot of your focus was on the wide receivers and, and DB battles there. So I, I guess you can kind of give us a good indication on wide receivers specifically, but if you want to touch on other positions as well that you saw, um, you know, what did you kind of see in Mobile from this week that you think could kind of impact stock in a positive way for these guys? Yeah, you can only see so much out there at the Senior Bowl. So I brought along Quentin Crisco, Buckus Stats on Twitter, and he watched the offensive line and the defensive line. And I watched what I could. A couple of people were taping one-on-one. So it's not like I haven't seen anything from it, but I was focused. I was basically living with the wide receivers and the defensive backs, especially because linebackers and running backs are particularly hard to, de- to evaluate in a Senior Bowl at space you got to remember that it's one-on-one practices with limited to no contact so when nathaniel dell the wide receiver out of houston comes out and wows everybody with his agility i mean let's be honest guys he should that's not to take away from the fact that he was cutting like butter that he was outclassing everybody but he's playing almost 40 pounds heavier than everybody you would expect to see a little agility and it's the only reason that that weeks that we heard of like uh, Tajay Spears's week or uh, Evan Hull's week. It's not that they don't matter. It's that the tape is probably going to be more valuable to you than their senior bowl experience. Because you got to like, for those who didn't watch senior bowl highlights, if a, if a player like Isaiah Foskey playing the edge got into the backfield, he would tap the quarterback on the hips and the play would continue. If the quarterback checked it down to the running back who said, and then a linebacker broke downfield and created what would have been a TFL, they tapped him on the hips and they continued walking away. So some of those highlights you see of somebody breaking a massive play downfield, the defenders quite literally stopped trying and it just makes it a weird week to evaluate. And it's the only reason that when I talk about Tank Dell, you're not going to hear me talk much about Tank Dell. But coming into this, I'll tell you, Andrew, a player that I couldn't understand why he wasn't getting as much buzz as he probably should have been was Stanford's Michael Wilson, who had more buzz going on his teammate, Elijah Higgins, I feel like, going into this weekend. I get why. I mean, Higgins or Wilson has only played, I think it's six games over his last two seasons missing all of 2021 with a foot injury and all of 2022 with an unnamed injury but he was cutting like butter at 6 215 and he ended up playing in the game and I, I, the game doesn't actually matter andrew i just like saying it because it makes my guy look good he had four catches for 76 yards and a touchdown and no other receiver came close Payne durham had a great week at tight end the purdue uh the purdue tight end who we can go more in depth but i'm just gonna lightning round through some guys jaden reed looked like a carbon copy of Anthony Miller on day one and day two fell off a little bit at day three. I wonder if he, as well as a couple other people felt like they didn't have much to prove. A couple guys didn't even practice on day three because they felt like they had made their statement already on the other side of things. I felt like I wanted to see a little bit more from Xavier Hutchinson. That's fine. Uh, him and Jonathan Mingo had particularly weird senior bowls because they would struggle in one-on-ones and then they would go to team drills and they would make plays like you would expect, I guess, of a Z receiver that's going to struggle against contact. Uh, I felt like Rashi Rice, I wanted a little bit more, but it sounds like you have an in-depth question, so I'll save that for later. Dontavion Wicks showed that he belongs, but I think he also still belongs in the fifth round, uh, and that's okay. Not everybody can be a second rounder as much as I'd love for them to be, but I really feel like from a wide receiver perspective Jaden Reed and Michael Wilson outclassed functionally everybody else it's not a dunk 
on any of these other receivers. But when you're looking at the guys who separate themselves, Wilson in particular looks like a steal because his medicals are going to make him a massive red flag. So you got to be ready to set that pick on fire. He may never play for you, but if he does, I mean, he's got that Alan Lazard blend of short separation plus the ability to block really well at his size, play functionally any position in an offense. And he's got a little bit more juice than Lazard when it comes to speed variance and getting downhill made a couple of nice over the shoulder catches deep that just give you a little bit of feel that he could be a three layer receiver instead of just a one to two layer guy. He, he definitely interests me a lot. That was awesome because you pretty much hit on, I think, and again, we're a bears podcast, but every bears man has just talked about how, it's like every wide receiver this offseason is somehow a fit in Luke Getz's scheme. <laughs> but it, it's weird, right? So, so we had Jacob and Fonte on the show a couple weeks ago, and one of the things I specifically mentioned was that with this wide receiver class, there's no groundbreaking, like, top-of-the-class guy. It's kind of all guys that, in to be quite honest, and it might just be my incredibly brutal talent evaluation system or grading system but a lot of these guys we're seeing I mean they would be second or third round picks had they declared one or two years ago in some of those more loaded draft classes but let's talk defense here for a second sure. I mean any winners on defense at the senior bowl guys that kind of came out of nowhere guys that you had an eye on going into this whole thing saying hey that is someone that can have a long and successful NFL career so you're going to have to come back to me and ask me about the defensive line and the offensive line because I realize I skipped a lot of them, uh, and I don't mean to. But let's talk corners. Going into this, I knew Julius Brunson was going to have a heck of a senior bowl. He's the almost 6'4 Kansas State corner with arms that are even longer than that, and oh, he did. I mean, in press man situations, he was just wailing on people. They had to pull him off of, of some of these guys. I thought Tyreek Steven looked buttery smooth, the corner out of Miami, but those are two guys I knew would play well. Two guys I didn't think would play that well, and frankly, they made me question my own evaluation on going back to extra tape. I feel like they lived up more to the senior bowl performance than what I'd written down as I was stressed and crunching out one game each of these guys and trying to write something down on paper before the Senior Bowl. Caillou Blue Kelly, corner out of Stanford. A lot of Stanford guys popped off, and especially Darius Rush out of South Carolina, who looked every bit as long as he, he was measured to be, but more importantly, looked a lot more fluid than I remember him looking. I remember in, these, uh, in my notes, I had him written down that he struggles in zone situations, but looking back, I need to take a look at which game or which team he was playing against. They may have just gone, they may have just victimized some tape looks because in these vanilla looks that they were playing, Rush was tracking the ball really well, showed great zone eyes, drifted beautifully from one receiver to another as he followed the quarterback's eyes because the quarterback play wasn't fabulous. But when you've got a kid with that much length that can bring some sweet feet into the equation, you're talking about a guy who's going to rock it up from PFF right now has him at like 188. He will not get drafted at 188 if you're talking about a 6-1 corner that can move like that. Rejon Wright, I think I was expecting a little bit more from. Super old prospect out of Oregon who's not going to get a ton of love, nor should he. But 
He was wailing on people. I mean, he's as handsy as they come, and he looked like he belonged. I mean, he can run with a lot of these guys. But at the same time, I got to tell you, I expected more out of this American wide receiver group, which is where a lot of these corners came from. And by the end of the weekend, I feel like the corners looked really good, but also the wide receivers didn't look as good. I wish we could have gotten better looks at what a lot of these guys would have done against, say, Jaden Reed or – uh or, or Michael Wilson, because again, those two were putting everybody but Caillou Blue Kelly on skates. And that's not to say it was a horrible weekend for Riley Moss, but it was a reminder that the Iowa corner may very well be closer to fifth rounder than he is to a third rounder, if only because he was really having trouble with a lot of the top end talent. And if he's going to play outside quarter in the league, it gets a lot harder than Michael Wilson. It doesn't matter how much I love Michael Wilson. Always worth remembering guys. Like when you're playing left tackle in the league, you got to play Joey Bosa. You don't get to just settle for how, how'd you do against Isaiah Foskey, you know? Sports betting continues to take over the sports world, and with fall right around the corner, there's going to be action from every major league sports league across the country on our own TVs. If you're like me, you're glued to the couch watching as many games as you can. Our friends at Oz Trader have got you covered with all the odds for each major sports book from around the web, all in one place just for you. As an added bonus, Odds Trader even compares the sign-up codes and promos so you get the best deal possible. When you're trying to find the best book, it's always best to have the best sign-up codes and promotions. Sometimes those even come with boosts, even additional money deposits. The app gives you a complete rundown on any game, including statistics, injuries, key game stats, game day weather, keeping you, the fan, as informed as possible. And sometimes if you're like us, You've got multiple bets going at once. Odd Trader will keep track of them all in one place for you. So what we want you guys to do is this. Head over to oddtrader.com slash bluewire. Once again, that's oddtrader.com slash bluewire, the number one website for all your game day bets. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say this for like the wide receiver DB drills, especially the one-on-ones. At least the impression that I got from the senior bowl when I was there is that these drills – are really like friendly towards the wide receivers because they have, have no help. Um, they're on an Island truly. And I mean, the wide receiver can basically run any route basically. And again, there's, there's, there's no leverage keys. There's er, everything is stacked in the wide receivers favor. So the fact that if you can get cornerbacks that can just hold up enough on some reps, then you're getting good cornerback performance out of those right. guys. Like it's expected that these guys are going to get burned because it's a showcase basically for the wide receivers. You want to see how they can run routes, um, how they can separate in isolated situations um, and all, and all that stuff. Um, But you did mention that like offensive line, defensive line, you know, not something that you were particularly keen on. I have a couple of notes from some of my observations, just kind of following the senior bowl on Twitter um, throughout the week. Um, It sounds like Dewan Jones had a very strong week. Um, as a whole, I mean, I mean, what what was his arm length again and wingspan? It's just something ridiculous. He has the wingspan of a seven four and a half person. Jesus. That much I remember. I mean, uh, and, and it's so funny, Andrew, because I feel like Dewan Jones is a player that a lot of people have been discounting because he doesn't look normal. Right. And that's, that's okay. I mean, I hate to bring up, I hate to sound like Jonah Hill in Moneyball, 
right? But because he doesn't look like Paris Johnson, because he's not 320 pounds, moves beautifully, like has solid arm length, but not ridiculous. A lot of people are discounting the fact that even really good edge rushers in college football really aren't winning against Dewan Jones because he outreaches them by almost a foot in some cases. I mean, we're talking that this isn't one to two inches of reach, you know, Andrew, this is like four. I mean, this is a clear and easy victory. We're talking about guys on tape that are trying to run around Dewan and he will swat them in the face and they'll lose their balance and fall down because he's got the arm length to do weird stuff at the right tackle position. How long is his career going to be? I don't know. How long can a professional athlete really sustain a almost 370 pound body? I mean, seems to me that that's ripe for stress fracture but he dominated in we or in practice one which why wouldn't he so did darno right throughout most of the week uh and then it seemed like he hung it up i don't know if he tweaked something hard to tell but similar to Devonte wyatt last year uh at the senior bowl he just he had his day he said that's good enough somebody or his agent probably told him you did enough bud and he didn't play anymore and so it seemed to me like he had a good week of course but i can rattle through a couple of other names matthew bergeron from syracuse really brought the fire wanya morris looked like the positive uh, third rounder maybe fourth rounder that you would be looking for that could play both uh, they could play each side of tackle because you know he played right tackle in college but he played a little bit of left tackle here cody mock showed all three positions of interior versatility didn't play much at tackle actually i don't know if he's accepting his fate per se but he looked like a really solid interior prospect and of course you know he's an almost legendary mover uh jared patterson had a funny week because they kept he kept trying to get back to guard and he's not good at guard he's so much more comfortable at center and on day one he played guard he looked bad on day two he played center he looked really clean on day three he played guard he looked bad again so we'll have to figure out what the golden domer wants to do in the league emil Ekior played a little bit of center definitely a project but a lot to be interested in there um john michael schmitz is the name that everybody's got on the tip of their tongue i mean i can't help but feel like uh, this is this is gonna sound like a wild comparison andrew stop me if i'm being ridiculous but there are a lot of the things that people said that only tyler linderbaum can do that john michael schmitz can get awfully close on not exactly the same but there's a lot of wild zone center stuff that john michael schmitz is able to pull off that i almost feel like People look at his profile picture and they see a kid that looks pudgy and think there's no way he's fast, but he's fast. I mean, watching him get out on these screens was every bit as fun as it is on his tape. I would say that he struggles a little bit with power rush, but at the same time, he's a center. If you're leaving him one-on-one, -on -one, what are you doing? <laughs> and so I, there's a lot of these guys. Offensive line looked about as good as I, I've only been two years, but everybody around me kept saying that this was about the best that they've ever seen the offensive line look against drills that are more often than not stacked in favor of the defense. And I mean, the talent was there. I mean, you're talking about Darnell Wright, a guy I think is a first round pick. You're talking about, I, I don't know, uh, Andrew, I'll ask you, where do you have John Michael Schmitz? Because everybody keeps trying to push him in the first round. And I'm like, guys, we're talking about a center we're talking about yeah. a pure center yeah i'll say this a creed humphrey didn't go in the first round then john michael schmidt shouldn't be a first round and Tyler linderbaum was a first rounder pick last year i'd say linderbaum was a better prospect than schmitz of course he was like a late first round pick and he's he was considered a generational center prospect i was about so to say I, I think like day two is probably the sweet spot like in that late second round area is probably where i'm gonna have 
Spritzman's all setting up, but like you said, like, I think he's kind of the full package. Like, yeah, he can't do the outside zone stuff as well as Linderbaum does. Like, nobody can. Linderbaum's a special prospect when it comes to that area of, of run blocking. Uh, but he can do it just well enough to where, like, if Luke Getze sees him as, you know, a piece for his offense and running that outside zone Shanahan scheme, I think he'd be a, a really good fit in that. Um, you mentioned, like, defensive line and how these drills are kind of stacked for them. You know, I, I heard during the week that Keanu Benson out of Wisconsin had himself a strong week, nose tackle there. So I know I know I got some Wisconsin friends that are gonna be excited to hear that. Um, the, to yeah, your point, the athletes brought it. I mean, yeah. a lot of the really good edges pulled out. Like we didn't have we had Darnell Wright, we had Dewan Jones, we didn't have Tyree Wilson. So the best edges you got were guys like Keon White, who looked crazy athletic. What's new? You had uh, Isaiah Foskey, who had himself a perfectly good week. You had Will McDonald, who styled on everybody, just about no matter who you were. Waited at 242. I'm dying to know what he's going to do at the Combine, because for those who don't know, Will McDonald is this bizarre Iowa State edge defender that they played as at nose at 220 pounds in uh in uh aims this season so weird guy to watch because of the way iowa state uses him but spry so many pass rush moves fluid in the way he moves wouldn't be surprising to see him as an edge rusher just because of how hard it is to find pass rushers that are just or that are any good at all i thought foskey had a particularly good week for his standing this was a guy that if he played poorly at the senior look let's put it this way when you talk about golden domers the notre dame plays a weird schedule Every single year and their defense isn't weird, but Foskey seems to me watching his tape was a guy that showed you flashes, but you wanted to see how he would look in, in a setting where it's all on the line because Notre Dame played a lot of these games where a play would help, but Unlike Zach Harrison, who I swear every play he makes was like a close out the game play. I mean, nobody else that you'd call in that Ohio State defense to close the game out. Foskey was somebody that a good week could push him into round two. A bad week could slide him down to round four. And I feel like he had a pretty good week. Um, it's this should be fun. Uh, watching the way that he moves around. And I feel like on the interior, Keanu Benton showed that he is like, he's feeling it. He wants to be a pass rusher. Uh, and I love the effort because we're talking about a guy who's a two gap run stuffer. This one nose tackle three tech hybrid is getting more and more popular as the league moves towards interior pass rush. I thought Zach Pickens showed out really well on the American team. He's a former five star for South Carolina if memory serves and he looked he looked spry against just about anybody else or the, anybody that he went up against and there's some a couple other defensive players that i'm sure i'm missing but those are the guys that really stuck out and if the bears are going to load up on the defensive side of the trenches i think that those are two good or two good names to know yeah i think this is a very good year for defensive line especially if you're looking to address that in this draft it's a very deep group i think just at the senior bowl but also just in the draft in general um we've talked about some winners from this process i know you've talked about some a couple of names of, of guys that didn't help themselves out as much but any other kind of like losers from this week that you can think of just i don't want to say losers but just guys that maybe didn't help themselves out as much as maybe um they were hoping to going into yeah this i week. hate that term loser too right, right? um you know, it's tough because on one hand, part of me wants to say Braden, Braden Willis, but I think I was the one who was really, really, really high on Braden Willis. 
because for a guy who's as big as he looks and as quick in and out of his cuts as he looks, he's tight end at Oklahoma. Uh, for those who don't know, he's just he's just not fast. And there are some guys like Payne Durham that make not fast look cool. And there are other guys like Braden Willis that make not fast look not fast. And that's okay. I think Will Mallory is a name that had a pretty doggone good senior bowl. Mallory's going to get ignored by a lot of people because Luke Musgrave's got that sexy, sexy speed that everybody loves. And I really don't know if it fits in an in NFL offense. I mean, how many I'd, or how many offenses really have their tight end running streaks and corners on almost every play? Because, okay, have you all seen Mighty Ducks series growing up? Who hasn't, right? Remember the kid in Mighty Ducks 2 that couldn't stop? Will Musgrave has the same problem where he is so fast that he cannot break down to save his life. You wouldn't expect him to. The guy's clocking 20 miles an hour at tight end. He's 255 pounds, but he doesn't block like he's got a 255 pound frame. He blocks like he runs really fast, if you get what I mean. And he's he's not running a lot of these separator routes that somebody like Dalton Kincaid would that nor that's a little more normal for tight end. And if I can be honest with you guys, while Will Musgrave makes me salivate with what you could do with him, I have seen way too many players get drafted by a GM that had one wonderful fun ideas and they hand him off to an offensive coordinator who does not have wonderful fun ideas and that player ends up going to waste more or less. So part of me wonders whether Luke Musgrave, okay, Andrew, this is a backwards way to answer it, but Luke Musgrave had himself a good enough week because there are a lot of people that were saying, whoa, Luke Musgrave looks amazing. He looked like Luke Musgrave. I hate to be so cold, but like if you'd turned on any film of the Oregon State prospect who only played two games in 2022, you knew he was that fast. He's exploding off your screen. Crazy first step, crazy or crazy long speed. And he only got to show it on like five plays because tight ends normally don't do that. And he didn't really do it in the senior bowl either outside of a couple times. I can't help wondering whether he's a loser because he'll get overdrafted if that makes sense, where he'll get pushed into the first round and then people will say, what the heck? Why Luke Musgrave sucks uh, two to three years down the road because an offensive coordinator doesn't recognize that he embodies speed at a position where speed just isn't really normal. And so unless you get like a Brian Dable or somebody who I would say is like thinking really creatively, a Mike McDaniel, a Kyle Shanahan. I just worry that somebody like Will Mallory would be the better fit because he's your tight or like he's your modern tight end. He's got more speed than people ever realize he does. He makes a lot of sweet catches. He's a good enough blocker. Like that's your jack of all trades tight end that has the opportunity to potentially overperform at the next level. Whereas a guy that's more of a one trick pony, but the one trick is really cool, might end up going really high and then not living up to it. I want to have Rashi Rice on this name, but I you told me you have a question for him. So I'm trying not to over talk about him. All right. So I have to ask you, let's talk about Ryan Poles and Maddie Rufus here. I mean, there's a lot going down going on down there in Mobile. I think the picture where you've got Poles, Eberflus, and Ian Cunningham is still circulating the internet based off me just glancing at Twitter over the last couple of days. But what did you see from them? Were they focused on any position specifically? Because we know that Poles and Cunningham are former offensive linemen, so we know that that's going to be a point of emphasis. You had Luke Getze down there too, so he's bringing in this additional insight. And then for Matt Eberflus, it's not even about him just being a 
defensive-minded coach. I think for him it was just more so, are there any prospects here on the offensive or defensive side of the ball that are trying to fit the culture that I'm building? They did both. They did all, all the positions every different day. I would love to tell you that it was one focus, but you'd have Ian Cunningham stare at the receivers while Matt Eberflus watched the offensive and defensive line, while Ryan Poles was nowhere to be seen, likely in the press area, watching watching who knows what. I can't even speculate. I mean, say the, the funny part about this Bears team is that they're just not good enough to focus on one position over another. I mean, they've got enough holes across the roster and enough players. Okay, so thought experiment that helps me make my point. Braxton Jones is a really, really sweet value at left tackle. He is massively overperforming his draft stock. He is a draft win any way you slice it. But if the board falls such that Paris Johnson's there at 11 after the Bears say trade down twice and he's your best player available, you take him, even if you signed a sweet right tackle in free agency, because that's your best player available. And the Bears aren't going to get better drafting for need. They're going to get better drafting for the best player on the board, regardless of what position that is. And I would imagine that they needed to be out there getting that information or getting that inside information so that they could figure out who the best player is in every situation without a particular eye towards position. Now, it wouldn't surprise me, having said that, who said if the Bears lean offensive and defensive line in a big way pretty much no matter what happens the the draft is particularly deep in the trenches and i think you mentioned that the receivers are getting pushed up i don't quite agree and that's okay it's more that who said i think that there's i don't think that there's a top 20 receiver like if i was going to shoot straight with you i don't think any of these receivers are top 20 receivers now do these receivers compare well to Jahan dotson or trey or Traylon burks or the other receivers last year that were drafted in the 16 to 25 range I think so. I think Jordan Addison, JSN, Quentin Johnston all fit right in that nice wheelhouse of really good first round talents, in my opinion, but they're just not as good as some of the other guys above the board because they're not separating themselves like those guys did, right? Like the Jamar Chases, like the Jalen Waddles, like the uh, not even Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson drafted 18. Like somebody thought Justin Jefferson was more or less as good as Jalen Rager, which is a reminder of how we don't know with some of these guys that whether it's JSN, Quentin Johnston or Jordan Addison, there's somebody out there that believes in them and they might be right because we could look back and say, wow, Bears really missed not taking them. But I digress. The point is that to me, I think that the Bears were getting as much as they could on everybody. Wouldn't surprise me if they were doing what they could to get their hands in the earlier practice because the Bears safeties coach was out there coaching with the first team. So the Bears had a coach on both squads and they're getting information on both squads. They were all over the senior bowl. I think they were justified to do so. And I don't think it was to target one position. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and, and let me just add this in. So you're 110% right about where this team is at. It's like we have this notion based off the comments that all of us see on social media that, okay, they've got 100-something million dollars in cap space. They're going to trade down for this massive haul. The Adam Schefter quote about the Bears basically having the first overall pick and having a lot of your ticket and waiting to cash it in is making its rounds today. But also, to be realistic, I mean, these are the GM, the assistant GM, the head coach. They're three players that come or three minds that come from organizations which have just believed in homegrown and drafting a developed talent. So that kind of makes you think they're going to be aggressive. They're going to spend their money where they need to. But they also know that the real work and the sustainable model, as we've seen teams like the Bills and the Bengals and the Chiefs do over the last couple of years, is going to be through the NFL draft. So this is, quite frankly, it, it's an interesting offseason because it all started off with the senior bowl, at least for me. And I'm not going to sit here and say expect disappointment because I don't want to be pessimistic. But I also think that you have to be realistic and know that we're probably a serious year away from – Seeing this team make some serious noise. Now, I will say, Usaid, I – so last year, right, let me just wind up a hot take, okay? This may be hotter than my usual brand is, so just strap in, right? Uh, Normally, I'm pretty favorable to the GM, especially when the GM or the head coach have longer contracts because why would I be outrageously negative on somebody I know is going to be with the team for like two more years? It's one thing to say I disagree. It's another thing to say I think they're bad at their job, right? But let's be blunt. Anybody can tear down. Joe Douglas, he tore down and he had everybody clapping. Sashi Brown, he tore down and he had everybody clapping. Ryan Ryan Pace, he tore down. And he had everybody clapping. Ryan Pulse tore down. He's got everybody clapping. What's he going to do with it? Cap space doesn't win you games. Cap space gets you players, and the players win you games. And I'll tell you that in two words, this offseason is a litmus test for what Ryan Pulse is going to be. Because I'll tell you right now, Usaid, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that there's any player in this draft that at number one, helps more than a gaggle of players that I don't even like. I mean, the expression that I've been using to just make the point, Usaid, is if the Bears traded down twice and drafted Miles Murphy, which I always use to intentionally point out a player that I think fits Everflus's like defensive end mold, 275, works hard in the run game, offers a little in the pass game. But I'll tell you right now, if they draft him at nine, he's going to be a colossal disappointment in the eyes of a lot of bears fans because he just doesn't make the splash plays that you would expect out of a top 10 pick think leonard floyd not dissimilar in terms of just what he would be in chicago though no leonard floyd is really good against the run that's that's pretty much dead on just like a defensive end version of leonard floyd but if you told me that they got uh, they got him 
They Miles Murphy. They got a second round pick. They got a third round pick. They got a future first round pick. Especially if they got a second future first round pick and any other day two pick among a couple of day three picks. I will almost assuredly like that more than one Jalen Carter or one Will Anderson because this team has so many problems across its roster that they need pedigree at all kinds of positions that they just don't have it right now. And when I say pedigree, I don't mean to make everything sound like if you're drafted higher, you play better. It's not that simple. But at the same time, when you watch Sam Mustaver, you can see a UDFA. When you watch Braxton Jones, you could see the fifth round pick. Like, it's not as if these guys don't perform, but when everybody points at one of the most inconsistent offensive linemen on the Bears, and I am talking about Tevin Jenkins, and they say, oh, but his highs, they're so high. That's the second round pick talking. That's what made him a top 40 selection in the first place was all that talent that was evident in school. And if you told me the Bears could take, okay, I'm going to pick an uh, like a, a fake number out of the air, and it's probably not going to work. But if you could take the average drafted pedigree of the Bears from what feels like it's somewhere in the fourth round to closer to the second, like the bottom of the second round, the team's going to feel better across the board. I mean, you could add a good corner to push Kendall Vildor. Maybe he starts. I mean, remind me, Andrew, who's the kid? Tariq, I can never get his last name right, that just started for the Seahawks. Terry Golan, Terry fourth round pick, right? I mean, yeah, was, fifth round pick, I think. Wasn't crazy high. Having these picks gives you a shot at bringing somebody into camp that blows you away. I liked Abe Lucas. I did not like him this much, <laughs> but the fact that I liked him at all makes me feel awfully nice because he's a third round pick who said that ends up being more productive so far than some first round picks. Like you just, you just don't know, and the draft isn't even fair. Usaid. Like sometimes you get a Traylon Burks who right now is a disappointment literally because he didn't play, but it happens. I mean, who's to say Jalen Carter will stay injury free. Who's to say Will Anderson will stay injury free. Who's to say they won't get in trouble with something off the field. We don't know. Right? So if you gave me anywhere from three to seven players, I'm almost assuredly going to like that more than one. And while I get it, a great defensive player changes everything. Name me some good defensive players, and I'll point out that they weren't top five picks. Aaron Donald, everybody's favorite comp, was taken at number nine. People did not think he was going to be the greatest defensive player of all time when he was selected. They just thought he'd be good. And so I can't help looking at this draft thinking to myself that, sure, I, I love Tyree Wilson. Sure, I love Jalen Carter. I think Will Anderson's awesome, and I also think that Flus would never pick him, but that's besides the point. I think that trading down is the only choice for uh, for the Chicago Bears and Ryan Poles. And that if they pass on that opportunity and they go from 1 to 65, because, oh gosh, I hope they don't trade up in that setting, that it will be a hard, long drop. And Use, you mentioned that it'll take a year. probably takes two if they wait that long just because of the lack of youth. But you trade down once, let alone if you trade down twice, which the buzz that I got at the Senior Bowl is that that's not even unrealistic. I mean, it's not just Bears fans. Normally, when you hear a really, really, really crazy idea, it comes from just the fan base alone. But other fan bases are pitching double trade bags to me. And like when I can, when everybody can see it, it means that it might happen. 
not to say that it will, but if Ryan Poles gets calls, if Ryan Poles goes into 2024 with a draft class of like 12 people, five of them having been top 60 picks and three first round picks, or even just two with some bonus in 2024, that sets the Bears much closer to being the Eagles by default. I mean, you would have to you would have to draft like the Raiders to not get better. And that's to me, to me, you say that's the beauty of the way that running the team like the Ravens can work is that if you do it right, your team is too good to really notice the guys that don't work. Unlike what happened with Ryan Pace, where the moment that Cole Kmet isn't a top five tight end, you notice the moment that Devin Jenkins gets hurt, you don't have a right tackle. Like it's, it's been rough for years and the bears have a chance to build real tangible depth and allow for guys to surprise them instead of betting everything on the sure thing in a business where no matter what pick you're talking about, it's no better than a 70% hit rate. And that's just not good enough odds. Not to me anyways. Yeah. I'll kind of add my two cents here uh, before we move on to a, a couple other quick topics here to kind of close out our show. But um I mean, I, I agree, Robert. I think trading down, I mean, that's it's got to be a, a given at this point at number one overall. In fact, like when we did our mock draft, I think last week we did our first mock draft episode of the year of the offseason. I put it in, usually we do like first mock draft, like no trades. Like it's just as a rule, just to kind of show like if they stayed at where they're at, like here's what they could get. And it's like, it's a foregone conclusion at this point that they're going to trade back at one. So we had to put in there for a rule that like you have to trade back at one. No trades everywhere, everywhere else, but if they trade back at one, which they are going to do, like what can you get? Where are you trading back to? And then what's the what's the haul that you're getting there? And I know that like I've been kind of experimenting. Like my favorite trade down option right now is the Colts because you have the option, you have the opportunity to get one of those Will Anderson or, or Jalen Carter, which I agree with you, Robert. I don't think Will Anderson is in the mold of what Eberflus is looking for either, um, which is why I think Jalen Carter is going to be there probably if they stay in that area, he's probably going to be their guy just based off what I think is going to be going on. But I mean, that's a conversation for another day. Um, but I agree. Like there are so many needs with this roster right now and it's not going to get addressed in free agency because it's not a great free agency class. There are a couple big names, but for the most part, most part, it's a lot of role player guys. It's a lot of guys that you're probably going to want to take short kind of um, flyers on. But the draft is where they're going to have to build this thing. So the fact that you kind of mentioned that Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, the rest of this coaching staff is kind of like all over the place at the Senior Bowl, looking at all these other positions, like it gives me a good indication that they kind of get where they're at and they have the self-awareness to know that, okay, like not one position group this offseason is going to fix it for us. We need to have our, we need to do our due diligence everywhere and then see where that takes us on draft night and um, – you know, give us as many options as possible, not not just key in on a couple of guys that we like and go from there, which is what we saw, unfortunately, Ryan Pace do so many times uh, during his tenure. But um, to go with a couple of uh, other topics right now, just to end things for our podcast, we'll do a little bit of a lightning round of, of questions here because um, we're getting a little bit late on time um, as we go through this thing. Um, speaking of the, co- oh no, no, it's great because <laughs> it's one of the best part about these discussions that we can kind of go all over the place with this. But um, I think let's start with the, let's go with the coaching because obviously one of the bigger storylines we talked about this on J- with Jacob when he was on the show. But uh, Luke Getze being one of the coaches for the Senior Bowl teams down in Mobile, you mentioned that he had coaches on the other coaching staff as well, kind of getting a little of, of a look. But 
just from your what you saw at Mobile, um, how would you describe Luce Getzey and the way that he kind of ran practices throughout the week? Luce, I mean, I was uh, hanging out with Nick Moriano pretty much all week. So he's over at CHGO. He's on the Bears beat. And in his words, it looked like a Bears practice. I would love to pull apart what him running an all-star practice means from like the schematic level. But the truth is not only do I not know the playbook, but I also know that these practices are as much a player showcase as they are an actual football practice. So I don't know. I could tell you that I feel like it felt cohesive. It felt competitive for the first two days. They eased off the throttle and then they got blown out in a game that doesn't really matter. So we can overdraw conclusions if we want to, but it seemed to me like Luke gets, played the weekend fast and loose and it almost seemed like he focused more later on evaluating players than actually trying to coach a game. But maybe that's my hopium talking because <laughs> they only scored 10 points on offense and I don't want to see that next year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Listen, let's get to the million-dollar man, the million-dollar question. How about SMU wide receiver Rashi Rice? I was sitting at the mechanics today. I had my laptop with me, and I just finished my scouting report up on him, which will be out by the time this podcast drops. We'll break him down for us. So for me, the big issue with Rashi Rice is that I could have sworn he was bigger than he is, and I had to go back and look him up to make sure that I wasn't crazy. And in his SMU listing, he's 6'2", he's 203. In his senior bowl listing, he's 6'0", he's 190, and he played like it. I mean, it's not weird, right? But you have this visual of this guy who looks bigger than anybody in the AAC. He looks kind of slow, like you would expect a 6'2 guy to, and... He came to the senior bowl and he wasn't the biggest guy. I mean, Julius Brents is dwarfing him. And so it's not that I don't think Rashi Rice doesn't belong. He belongs, but it it dawned on me, right? A light bulb moment who said where I think he's a power slot at the NFL. And that's not a bad thing. It's just competitive because right now, if you don't fit at Z and you don't fit at X, everybody goes, boom, your power slot. And there's only so many Juju Smith Schusters out there. He's quick in and out of his cuts. I mean, he had, so zebra technologies was, uh, was like running advanced analytics on everybody with player or with chips in their shoulder pads. And he had what was called the most explosive efforts of the weekend. So the most, quick decelerations and the most quick accelerations within the same gaggle of reps. So he's explosive. I mean, he decelerates and accelerates quickly, but his top speed isn't that high. His size isn't that big. He's not that good at contested catches. His brakes aren't that jagged for me. Usaid, who prefers somebody who's a little less all-round at receiver and wants a little bit more of like, I need him to win a certain way. He's a box out. He's a, Box out uh, power slot that could find some success at the NFL level, but I wouldn't take him uh, before late round two. And that's even probably stretching it because I don't know enough about the juniors. And I've heard a lot of these juniors are really, really good. So 
I don't know. I came away a little bit unimpressed, but I can't help but thinking that was partially because I wanted to see him win at X and he did not win at X. And when you're winning inside, it's, it just puts you in a really competitive bracket. Yeah. Rice was certainly a name to watch throughout the week. Um, you know, it's just interesting because like we kind of talked about before you go into the week, having one impression of a player and then you get to see him live. And it's just like, it can totally, it can totally change things for you. I agree. Um, I know we talked about this earlier, but like linebacker, it's not a great, the senior bowl is not a great environment to kind of judge linebackers by, because no. I mean, you're not in, you know, most of the drills that you can't kind of judge them by is in team drills. And like you said, Robert, like they're not actually hitting or anything. So that's like half, that's like a big portion of the game that is just missing in the valuation or missing from this. Um, but when you're looking at the linebackers that were there in Mobile, I know that linebacker, you know, Eberflus, I, I, I feel like a broken record saying this a lot when it comes to these interviews and and, and prospects and whatnot, but Eberflus, you know, he's a linebacker coach kind of by by trade. Um, with his background, I, I should say, um, that, that was his position coach in Dallas. And uh, we, we saw what he did in Indianapolis, developing a lot of good linebackers. Um, not even just uh, Shaquille Leonard, but you look at Bobby Okariki. Um, I think Zaire Franklin's had a nice breakout with them. I think a lot, in large part, due to Eberflus's influence developing that that unit over there. Um, and we've been kind of, I've been kind of wondering, like, when is he going to take the next stab at linebacker for the Bears? Here, obviously, he didn't view Roquan as a long-term fit here. I don't think Poles wanted to pay him. Obviously, that was the case as well. And we saw what Jack Sanborn was able to do. Um, so. When you look at the linebackers here, did anybody kind of impress you enough to where you say, you know, maybe we can afford not to maybe go out there and pay a guy big money because we can maybe get this guy later or uh, maybe he's someone that could be a fit with what we want to do, what Eberflus kind of wants to do with these linebackers. What, what did you see, like, if anything at all, because I know it's tough to evaluate. Well, free agency, unfortunately, comes first, Andrew. So if they are going to pay a linebacker, they're going to pay him soon. And I think Bobby Okariki is going to buy a plane ticket to Chicago and he's not going to leave. I mean, call it a guess. But like you said, Eberflus basically Eberflus is the reason that his career is where it is. The defense desperately needs a Mike coverage linebacker. There is no one on the roster ready to play that role right now. I think that connection just makes too much sense. And if the Bears spent a, a third round pick on a linebacker, I'd probably get mad depending on the glut of picks that they had but Agreed. that's just that's just almost assured but demarvion overshown makes a lot of sense i mean like you're like we're talking about it's not the greatest theater to envire or to evaluate linebackers but i'll tell you what when you watch him stand there he, he's bigger he's taller he's longer and that has Eberflus written all over it. Good instincts in coverage. I think he would be an almost idealized fit, honestly, as the Mike coverage linebacker. So he's not your will guy uh, within the Bears scheme. But part of me thinks that Sanborn has earned every legitimate shot to play out that role because you got to find value somewhere on your roster. And if you could have a UDFA at linebacker stand in for you, I think that that spells good things. It's not really Overshone's game either, like gap shooting and like making big plays in the run game but he could certainly cover a running back if he needed to. Overshone's versatility stuck out to me because, again, bad theater for linebackers. Trust the tape. And maybe like a Henry 2020 guy who looked pretty good out there, but I don't know. Linebackers are so strange because the moment that you invest premium resources into them is the moment that you don't invest premium resources somewhere else. And I know that this is going to be the, about as nerdy a thing I could say, Andrew, which is right up your alley. But if the Bears traded down a bunch and they took 
just rattle off some names. They took Cody Mock, JMS, even though they had already paid even Ethan Pochich. They already paid like a, a um, oh my gosh, center, Dalvin Tomlinson, but they still draft like a Zach Pickens or a Keanu Benton. They already drafted an edge and they draft a Keon White as well. I'm not going to mind. Like, load up on the trenches. It's a good draft to do it. Build a rotation. You don't need to go Madden mode and have four guys that play and then get mad when a third stringer that comes from nowhere is playing, like, legitimate minutes for you. Draft your way out of playing AQM. Draft your way out of playing Mike Pinnell. Draft your way out of ever seeing Justin Jones again. Do it. Why not? Because I'll tell you, if there's one problem that I don't think enough Bears people are talking about, it's that the Bears have a bit of a logjam at receiver because if you're not drafting your wide receiver one, they have got every other role filled, assuming that they sign anybody that can play in free agency. I mean, you're talking about Darno Mooney, who you're not getting rid of, Chase Claypool, who you're not getting rid of, Bayless Jones, third-round pick, not getting rid of, a free agent you just signed, and then ESB, and the only hole is right at the top. So unless the Bears Usaid add right at the top, I don't know what they're going to do because anybody you add, you're probably not cutting the year after that. So while I want them to make a play for a 2024 free agent or like a 2024 first round wide receiver, whether that's uh, obviously everybody wants to talk about Marv, but it could be Mario Addison. It could be some other dudes that are in that class. That's a lot of patience. And so we'll have to see what happens because like, again, can't say it enough. Michael Wilson is one of my guys. I love watching Jalen Reed. There are a lot of these receivers that I think are sweet, but I don't know if Josh Downs is going to fit into your wide receiver one mold immediately. In fact, I'll go one further. He won't. And I think Zay Jones is going to end up being a top 20 pick because at this rate, there just aren't enough receivers better than him at what they are at what he does. So we'll just have to see what happens. But receiver in particular is a position that I can easily see bears fans getting oh mad that the bears don't, upgrade at because they're thick in the wide receiver two to three division and what i would love to see instead is an almost deliberately oblong approach at just fill the trenches load them up really pour the foundation in and get like two to three deep at some of these positions if you built a world where braxton jones was a swing tackle and you had and you actually had tevin jenkins and another pedigreed offensive lineman battling for a guard position, this is a good problem to have. We don't need to be so loyal. I don't know if I'm pushing feathers. You guys tell me. But, like, we don't need to be so loyal to some of the guys that have already played minutes for the Bears that we don't add competition to potentially better the roster overall. And I feel like this is a great draft for even as late as the fourth round, getting a sweet player that can play because there are, oh my gosh, there are a lot of tackles that can play. You know what I mean, Andrew? Yeah, this class particularly, um, I, I just, it is a very deep class in the trenches, man. It, it's a fun, if you're like me who loves to evaluate that stuff, like it's a really fun draft for that. I'll say this, like last thing before you say, it kind of closes off with our final cl- final question here. Um, like you bring up the Eagles and like, how can you build a team like the Eagles? Like you look what Howie Roseman has done practically every year before he started to, to say like, you know what? Wide receiver kind of matters too. Um, but you look at all of his draft record uh, before he went like, I think wide receiver, like their first, their last three, three, their last three first round picks have been wide receiver. But before that, it was always we're drafting defensive line and we're drafting offensive line early. And we're going to be strong at those positions because that raises the floor of our team. Uh, we can control the trenches on both sides of the ball and we can just figure it out elsewhere. 
will be good no matter what. And I mean, that's, it's been a proven um, track record for that franchise where, yeah, they've had some down years, but every year they have a set floor because they have the ability to just kick ass, just, just put, put it plainly in the trenches on both sides of the ball. So I think if the bears kind of take that approach, I, I wouldn't be mad with it. Like you said, like whenever I've been writing up my mock off season, uh, that's I'm hoping to release soon, but every time I go about like, how would I go about doing this? Like, I go back to, you know what, there are some, there's some talented guys in free agency in the trenches. This draft is great in the trenches. Why not just load up there and then just figure the rest out as you go? Cause I think that's a good formula to go by. I think that's the way that Ryan pulls and Matt Eberfuss kind of want to build this team based off of what I think, what I think their backgrounds kind of suggest, but we'll see. Uh, you said you got our last question here for Robert, cause I know we're, uh, Gotta let him go at some point here, I guess. It's been a fun conversation, but uh, you say it closes out here. What what kind of last question do you got for? Him? All right, this is gonna be somewhat broad, somewhat well, it is an open-ended question, but is there any if you had to pick one specific position group that you saw all week in mobile that you would say, Hey, that's one that could alter the way that the Bears approach the NFL draft, which position group would it be and why? And I can tell by your body language you were not ready for this one. Well, I I feel like it's corner. Like the the one that comes to my mind, now granted, I mean I was only staring at like three or four positions. Tight end is the one I want to say, but tight ends jump off the page. I mean, we've heard Ryan Poles talk about how much he loves Cole Komet to the point where everybody is basically <laughs> expecting a Cole Komet expen- extension, which is a real shame because I think a lot of these tight ends are flat good. Now, are they going to be flat good in their rookie year? Probably not. But at the same time, I don't know. Cole Komet is one of those like jack of all trades where you have to say that he's a master of none as well because he, he isn't. There's no one thing you can point to and say Cole Kmet does that better than most tight ends in the league. The, the, he does everything a little better than some tight ends in the league, but there's no one thing you can hang your hat on. But corner in particular, this is a cover two, or this is like a defense that played a lot of cover one and cover three because they couldn't play too high because they couldn't fit the run. But a lot of these corners are good. And part of me wonders whether Matt Eberflus would, oh, just Jones a little too hard in the second or third round for one of these guys on the outside, given that, I mean, we don't know if Jalen Johnson's coming back. And so if he doesn't, then, yeah, I mean, Kyler Gordon at nickel, you would be drafting Johnson's heir apparent that would start at CB2 for a little while and move over to CB1 over a little, or like after a little bit of time in it. And it makes sense with the Bears' timeline. I don't think it'll happen, but guys like Rush, guys like Caillou Blue Kelly, it's not the Stevensons of the world that you got to think about. It's not the Devin Witherspoons. It's not the really good ones. It's the ones that are pretty good that a lot of teams wouldn't consider as good as a team that runs enough cover two to need a corner that's got length, that's spry, that plays in zones. Darius Rush in particular makes a lot of sense. And the fact that I I think that there are some Bears fans that would be irate at the idea that they would draft a corner after just having drafted two defensive backs. But we're talking about a defensive head coach that loves his defensive backs. And the more you draft, the better you get and the cheaper secondary is. So I can see value in it. But I, I want them to stay in the trenches. Who doesn't? And hey, fun little fact. So Matt Eberflus, all the years he was in Indianapolis, never even had a first-round defensive back. It was all like day two and day three guys. And so he knows how to make it work. So you're right. Corner is a total wild card for the Bears here. 
Day one defensive backs to me. Now this could be a little hot takey, but like the hard part Usaid is that I was make so I was in a bar with Clay Harbor at one point. Um, and we were shooting around like which position is more important, tight end or receiver, right? And I will shorten the conversation drastically to get to the point where one of the parts of the argument was tight end rules, but it's impossibly hard to scout. People don't know what they're looking for for a good tight end and they don't know what translates. And that's why generally speaking, it's like best case scenario, a second round tight end that ends up really good in the league. But often these first round tight ends just aren't the best out there. And first round defense backs tend to fall under the same banner where really good first round trench players have a shot to be drawn pain or even as as low as um like uh oh gosh marcus davenport where it's like if that's the worst case scenario that's really not that bad a player but a first round defensive back can also be like his name was uh cj hooker was it i got i botched his name who's the Henderson, jags guy that like or jets guy that just Henderson, cut? what would you say um, I don't know. That's a different guy. Just guy, just guy. Cut. Point is, is that there are a lot of these defensive backs in the first round that become completely forgettable, like completely forgettable. Was Jamal Adams worth pick number worth pick number four? No way. Fight me. Uh, like was Jeff Okuda worth pick number four? No way. Fight me. Second round defensive backs are like the name of the game. You can get a worst case scenario. You're talking about like a low end CB one uh, in the second round, and and that's sweet value. Because you're not paying the first round salary. You don't have that first round commitment that ends up creating some of the highest paid players in football. And if his shoulder falls off, you move on because you don't have that first round homegrown. We got to extend this guy or our, our season ticket holders are going to be irate like feeling. So Usay, to your point, I think it's good strategy. You you still need to hit on the picks, but that it, it helps when you're able to aggregate talent. Like Arizona's Buda Baker was a second round pick. Rocky Sin and Indy. Indianapolis was a second round pick. Jalen Johnson was a second round pick. A lot of these really good defensive backs are second round picks for a reason. And it wouldn't surprise me, frankly, if Kyler Gordon's going to take that step even before Jaquan Brisker might, because I love honestly what he did towards the end of the season. But that's a different podcast. Yeah, I'll say last thing before we wrap it up here, because we do have to unfortunately wrap it up. It's been a really fun episode, Robert. Thank um, you. I'll say this when we talk about the debate of trenches versus secondary. Uh, we've had that debate before um, many times, I think. I think when it comes to the draft, I think you look at coverage play. Coverage is such a volatile thing where I feel like playing the trenches is a lot more consistent. You always know – you kind of get get to know what you're getting uh, from trench players, whereas there are so many factors that go into coverage that it's kind of tough to kind of – I don't know, kind of project that going to the next level, mm-hmm. I think. Where, so whereas I think maybe taking that – you want to get your high picks on trench play because you kind of know what you're getting there. It's a little bit safer. Whereas secondary, you kind of want to get as many like dart throws as possible later on in the draft. If you, if that makes sense, Robert, because you, you never know when these guys are going to hit, but if they do, it's a very good value. And again, because it's such a volatile thing, that coverage aspect of it, you know, you don't have to marry yourself to a player by drafting him so high, by drafting him lower, you don't have to marry yourself to that player, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. um, it kind of makes it easier to kind of fill out the rest of the roster. Now that you have a lot of good players at the position, not just one good uh, player at that position. So uh, with that note, I think we're going to finally wrap it up here. Um, really fun, really fun t- time talking to you, Robert. It was 
a lot of great information that we got. Um, a lot of stuff that I even going into this in my prep for this that I wasn't even considering going into this. A lot of names that weren't on my radar that you were able to kind of shine light on. And hopefully we get to get a little bit more um, you know, information on these guys as we get later on in the offseason, uh, a little bit later on in the draft process. Like we have the combine coming up. I know we got um, pro days coming up. Uh, this is it's going to start getting go by fast here as the offseason rolls along. We're only about a month away from the start of free agency. So it's kind of crazy that we're already to that point. We've got the Super Bowl uh, coming up this weekend, which should be a really fun game to watch. Uh, Robert, thanks for coming on the podcast. It, it was really good. Uh, you know, kind of see getting you on the show again and um, getting to talk to some ball with you. Uh, for all of our listeners out there that maybe don't know, where can they follow you on uh, social media and where can they find your work, man? You can find it over at WindyCityGridiron.com where you'll find all the other ancillary links like the YouTube channel, Second City Gridiron, the podcast channel, Windy City Gridiron, available on Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, where all kinds of people do really good work. Uh, Guys, thanks so much for having me on. A whole lot of fun. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Robert. Anytime you guys want want to come on and Mm -hmm. talk some ball, always invited to come on. We always enjoy having you on the show. Um, as for us here at, at Picture Polls, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. You can follow USAID at USAID Cultural on Twitter. You can find our work at The Bear Report. Um, make sure to follow us and subscribe uh, to The Bear Report on YouTube as well. Um, get some film breakdowns, get our podcast here, get some other video breakdown stuff as well. Um, Going to be a lot of content coming up with the offseason just around the corner, the new league year just around the corner. Uh, should be a lot of fun. I uh, want to thank Robert one more time for coming on the show. Uh, great episode. And for all of our listeners out there, have yourself a great weekend. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.